We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. We made it to the end of a new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever's on your heart, all you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is by using the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I like Fridays because it means we get to be in church tonight here at Calvary Chapel. I'm going to be teaching. We finally have arrived at Revelation chapter 19. I'm not going to get as far as I thought I was going to get. I'm only going to do the first 10 verses, so we don't actually get to Jesus's return. But when I read the passage, I'm going to read the first verses just sort of as a teaser for next week. But that's tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Um, Sunday, I'm going to be teaching in the Gospel of Mark. We are um, finishing in the sixth chapter. And then I hope you go to church. Hope you have a great time. Hope you find somebody that you can be a servant to. Let me get to questions that have been sent in while we await any phone calls coming today. The first one is anonymous from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. As you know, there are various forms of worship. We see worship expressed in various ways. At church, we don't bring attention to ourselves. However, I see gospel singers put on shows expressing their worship, Christian rappers working the stage like a concert, and bands like Hillsong smiling and having fun while singing to Jesus. Many people would say that we are simple, if not boring, and I don't know what you mean by that, uh, But then you say, which I don't believe. So how should we worship? Do these types of ways, even cultures, have it right? That's a little awkward, the last sentence. So let me just talk about worship in general, Anonymous, and we'll get there. Um, there's no reason that we shouldn't be having fun um, worshiping Jesus. I mean, that's fun is important. I don't want musicians at our church, and our church, our style is a little different than most, but I don't want musicians or singers at our church to look like they got a toothache when they're singing. I want them to enjoy what they're doing because joy, worship is making a joyful noise. Worship is is heart and soul. Now, the one thing that you mentioned that we have to be careful of is we don't ever want any person who's attracting attention to themselves during worship. Jesus has to be our audience. Jesus is the one to whom we are singing praise. 
And so when we are worshiping to him, if I'm to run around or if I'm to, to do things that you see in some out-of-control churches, well, then immediately people are going to look at me and they're going to be distracted, and that's not worship at all. Now, I also want to make a distinction between the shows that you talked about, whether it's gospel singers who put on shows or Christian rappers. That's a different thing. Those are concerts, really, when when you've got a, a team that's worshiping um, uh, in a church setting. It's different than when somebody's putting on a show. And uh, I, I just don't think there's anything at all wrong with that. Um, you know, if... if they're putting on a show. That's what they're doing. But it's completely different than the the atmosphere in a church during worship. What we want to do is we want to be worshipful. We can do that with all kinds of music. Um, we we actually have a, a, a big ministry here, Anonymous, called Joy of Jesus. And we've put on some concerts in public in the park um, using some of our same people. But at the same time, it's a completely different setting with a completely different purpose. It's evangelizing, and we're trying to get people there. On the other hand, in church, uh, you'll almost never see any of uh, our, our worship team here at Calvary Chapel um, doing anything more than singing. But But it does look like they're having fun. And I want them to have fun. I want them to be able to say, I can sing the words of this song with a heart that's right before God. So worship styles are different. The one thing that I think ought to be consistent. Now, nobody's asked me my opinion except you. But but one thing I think ought to be consistent in every church is that Jesus Christ needs to be the focus of our worship. Not how we feel. Not, not our emotions, not running around or causing a distraction, but, but allowing Jesus to be the object of the worship. I think at our church, Anonymous, we do that pretty well. Um, but the, the rest is, um, I guess, subjective. Uh, I can tell you that, that um, um, the direction I give our worship leaders here at Calvary Chapel, is just make sure that their hearts are in the right place. I want it to be good. I want it to be professional worship. But but I need to know that the people who are doing the worship are walking with God, and we've been really uh, blessed by that. Um, so I, I hope that answers your question. I'm not, I'm not so sure. Uh, I don't think there's anything boring about worship that is sincere from the heart and serving the Lord. So I hope that helps. Here is a question from Lynette again from our mobile app. Sounds like Lynette is trying to prove a mid-trib or a post-trib rapture rather than a pre-trib rapture. We'll see. Lynette says, can you tell me what scriptures say the seal and trumpet prophecies are judgments? Now, clearly, Lynette, they're not prophecies. They're judgments. The seal judgments and the and the uh, trumpet judgments, they're called that. Uh, you say Revelation 10, 16, 5 and 16, 7 refer to these vials as judgments only, which would mean or to the vials, uh, the bold judgment. Um, but you're right, Revelation 16, 5 and 7 does refer to them as judgment. But let me direct your attention here, Lynette, to Revelation chapter 6. And we're talking about the seal judgments, the very first judgments where the great tribulation begins. And Jesus goes to a long um, um, discourse, or John does in, in writing this vision, um, to, to, to explain exactly what these things are. Now, it says, the stars in the sky, and I'm still going to start just in verse 13. I could go through the whole chapter. Um, the stars in the sky fell to earth. Uh, the sky receded like a scroll. Every mountain and island was removed from his place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves. And among the rocks of the mountains, they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide from us uh, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And here's the key from the wrath of the Lamb. And then in chapter 6, the last verse, verse 17, the conclusion is, For the great day of their, that's the, 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 the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the great day of their wrath has come. 
and who can stand. So please note, Lynette, that in describing the first series of judgments, it's identified as clearly as it can possibly be as to be the wrath of the Lamb. The people knew it. The summary of the chapter is, for the great day of their wrath has, past tense, already come. And who can stand? So there's no honest way that somebody can say that the seal judgments, and obviously the same thing is true of the trumpet judgments which follow, there's no way that somebody can honestly say, oh, well, that's not the real judgment. The wrath only starts at the midway point of the Great Tribulation. Uh, that's what the the, the, the pre-wrath uh, trapture adherence uh, would like us to believe that, oh, these, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments are not really the wrath of God. It's bad, but it's not really the wrath of God. Um, Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 say exactly the opposite. Fall on us and hide from us, or hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? It doesn't say it's going to come in the midway point of the Great Tribulation. It doesn't say it's going to come at the end of the Great Tribulation, which the post-tribbers would say. So, Lynette, I think what we've got to do is we've got to just read the Bible for what it says. And don't get confused. Don't spend a bunch of time researching on the Internet um, people that have a point to make, and they twist and turn the Scripture to say so. Revelation chapter 6, the first series of judgments, is where the Great Tribulation begins. And the people who are in it during the Great Tribulation, they know that. So um, if they see it, they live it, and they know it, then we should know it as well. 340-9585, this is another anonymous one from our email inbox. Um, one of my friends believes in coexist. Have you seen that bumper sticker all over? Coexist is everywhere. And and this is just the one world religion kind of concept, the deception, the spiritual deception that starts. So this person says, one of my friends believes in coexist and that all religions are correct. I've told her what the Bible says about it and that Jesus is the true and only way, but it seems like she doesn't understand or listen. How can I get her to understand that Jesus is the only way? For salvation. Anonymous, I so appreciate your heart. You know, uh, our, our kids in the school this week, chapel, has been about evangelism. So we want to tell everybody about Jesus. But here's the thing. You can't make anybody understand what they don't want to understand. So here's what you do. You live your life full of the joy of the Lord. You proclaimed her the truth about Jesus. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. You may even suggest to her that, that Jesus isn't true if he lied about that, because how can God, the holy God, be a liar? And he said, out of his own mouth, no one comes to the Father except through me. The other thing, and, and this is just, I'm a logical person, so I think logically, uh, if if what I teach is true, that Jesus is the only way, that his, his death for our sins, uh, his burial and resurrection, uh, which validates th- that he is able to forgive sins and, and willing to do so, has the power and the authority to do so, if what I teach is true, and if what Muslims teach is true, one of us is lying because we're teaching completely different things. Same thing is true with every other religion. So this whole idea, this this cultural coexisting, you see these bumper stickers now everywhere. And it's just another way that the enemy has deceived uh, the world that we live in. It just seems so spiritual. You know, as long as you're a spiritual person, everything is okay. Um, but the truth is, uh, apart from Jesus Christ, um, faith in Jesus, we're all going to spend eternity in hell. We're all sinners. Jesus died to forgive sinners. There is no other death that was efficacious for the forgiveness of sins. So what we've got to do is live our life with the joy of the Lord. Let our witness, both in word and deed, be obvious to all. Share the truth with other people. Do so in love. Um, But I repeat again, Anonymous, if people don't want to believe, then you can't convince them. And I, I think we ought to 
just sort of take the pressure off ourselves. Our job is not to get a result. Our job is not to make converts. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Our job is simply to tell the truth in love to the people who are lost. And this woman that you're talking about is lost. And, you know, the reason that she wants every way to be okay is because she doesn't want to stop sinning. And I want to repeat what I've said many times to my church and and several times on this radio program. There's only one reason people reject Jesus Christ. It's not because they can't believe. It's because they won't believe. And the reason they won't believe is because Jesus says you've got to stop sinning. And they don't want to stop sinning. So pray for her. But you know what Jesus said? If they don't receive you, then shake the dust off of your feet and go find somebody else that you can tell. Everybody's accountable for their own choice. So there's no way that you can make her believe anything. That is a work of God's Holy Spirit. Cindy is on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I I have a couple things. Hi, okay, I have a couple things. Now, first, if anybody out there has not listened... What can I do for you? I'm sorry, Cindy. When I said, hi, Cindy, my phone is on my desk. It's off. But evidently she thought I said, hi, Siri. So (laughs) that was the noise you heard in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, so so I have two things. One, uh, Wednesday night, if anybody out there has not listened to Wednesday night, I would highly behoove them to do so and, and to really take it to heart. It seems that when you have these chapters that you say, well, it's going to be kind of confusing, but I'm going to sort it out. It turns into this gourmet dinner in the Lord. It was just absolutely, I'm still <laughs> thinking about Wednesday night. Now, oh, the you're other, too kind, Cindy. Thank you. Well, the other thing I have is I've been thinking about the stars lately, and um, I was kind of really missing and kind of asking the Lord in a way, you know, if there's any way he could get me somewhere where I could lay back and get to see the stars like I used to see them growing up in Topanga, California, way a long time ago. You could, huh? I just said, yeah, I've been there. I know, I know what you're talking about. Hey, well, so you could, so way back a long time ago when I was a kid, you could see all these stars. And, and I was kind of making a wish to him that he'd take me somewhere and I could get to lay back and look at all the stars like I used to. So this morning when I turned my laptop on, now the picture changes every day. The picture that is on my laptop is a picture of a spiral galaxy with a. <laughs> And I thought that was kind of his neat sense of humor. Then that got me thinking when it says, I will make a new heaven and a new earth. And I was wondering about two things. One, the earth. I know it says that it's going to burn, but does that mean that it will be a spiritual earth and not a physical earth when, when everything is all done and changed? And then that made me start to think about the galaxies and all the stars and, and the forever universe. If when he says he's going to make a new heaven, if that means all of that gets changed, or if it means when he says make a new heaven, that that the stars and the galaxy and all that's going to be there, but that it's going to be like the area that we we occupy as heaven, if, if that's what he's meaning. So I'm going to leave you with that, and I'm going to put my radio back on and take it off of mute. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. God bless you. Bye-bye. She's so kind to me. I, I, I was laughing because she said, if anybody out there hasn't heard, I'm pretty sure there's a whole bunch of people that haven't heard Wednesday night's Bible study. Um, but it was in First Kings chapter 14. And uh, and Cindy's right, not that it was good, but Cindy's right that it's, it's important for the time that we live in. Cindy, a couple of things. Uh, when I went to Bible college, uh, and you're familiar with Southern California, so you'll know where this is. But the Bible College was in Lake Arrowhead, California area. It was about 6,500 foot in elevation. And I remember going out there, and I grew up in Southern California. Uh, but but when you're out on the mountain, and it is completely dark, and I mean it's so dark you can't see your hand in your face, but you look up in the sky, you see stars like you've never seen before. And that was so impactful for me. Just, God, you made all of this. And if he if he did that well in his first try, imagine what he's got reserved for those of us who belong to him. 
Now, the new heaven and the new earth, it is going to be a completely new order of things. So I can't explain it. We're going to be in chapter 20 in, in, in I don't know, we're, we're, in, we're in 19 maybe for two or three weeks. And then chapter 20 and 21, where the new heaven and the new earth is described for us. Um, we're, we're spared details because I, I think there's, there's not human language that can adequately describe what God has in store for those of us who love him. And he is going to blow our minds. Now, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I think, Cindy, that means that we're going to live on the earth, but we're going to have access to the heavens. Um, Jesus is going to be uh, where we are. It's not going to be like we have to travel and get in a spaceship or anything. We're going to be able to move. But, but I think everything is going to be replaced. Peter says this earth is going to be destroyed by fire. And um, um, you talk about global warming. That's going to be really global warming. Uh, but then he's going to create a, a new one. And I think I think this will be like the best show we've ever seen in our lives. We're going to see what the miracle of creation looked like when Genesis one one says, "In the beginning, God." We're gonna we're gonna be there. We're gonna be able to see what it's like. We're gonna see his his opulence for us. We're gonna see. The, the, the magnificence of a creation that we've never even been able to imagine. Um, the new heavens, um, um, you know, the dwelling place of God in, in eternity is going to be with men. So we're, we're going to be able to see the abode of God. Um, and it's indescribable. I, I can't explain it any other way because we're not given the words. Uh, but but what I can say is that it's it's something that we've never seen. It's something that we've never been able to imagine, and it is a an entirely new order of things. And that's what we've got to get used to. It's why we have a hard time uh, imagining what it's going to be like, uh, because our our minds are constrained by our experience. We're constrained by what we've seen, and God is basically saying, "You haven't seen anything yet." And I can't wait until that moment. So, Cindy, thank you very, very much for that. Again, I appreciate your kind words. Let's go to Chris, who is holding on line one from San Antonio. Chris, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Chris. Are you there? Okay, we lost Chris. Uh, Chris, uh, you can call back. We get about a little over four minutes, I think, uh, before the break. And uh, right after the break, we'll take you if you are able to call back. Let's go to our call or a question from Robert. Robert says, "Kids in school are being told to follow their heart, to tell the truth. No, I'm sorry, to tell their truth, and to pursue what they're passionate about." I find that dangerous because the real world mitigates against this. What are your thoughts? Robert, I could not agree with you even more. Um, Mitigates is one of my favorite words, so I'm interested that you use that word. Um, What kids in school need to be told is not to follow their heart, but to follow Jesus. Not to tell their truth, but but, but learn to identify and follow the truth. There's only one. Two things that are in contradistinction to one another cannot both be true. And uh, to pursue what you're passionate about, unless you're passionate about Jesus and, and he's the one that you're pursuing, you're following with all of your heart, strength, and soul, um, then then whatever you're following in this world is going to blow up on you. It's that simple. Um, the real world um, is one that we've, we've got to understand our place in. This, this, this world is not our home. We treat it like it is, and sadly, Robert, even Christians do. This world is not our home. We're not going to find satisfaction and fulfillment here. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be great things. It doesn't mean that the work we're doing won't be satisfying, but it means that nothing apart from Jesus Christ really satisfies, and too often we, we get all tangled up in the things of this world because what we want is the rewards of this world. And what we need to do, especially parents, we need to tell our children, and we need to know, first of all, what they're being taught in school, but the idea of follow your heart, um, you, you can't do that. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Um, apart from Jesus Christ, that's exactly who we are. So you follow Jesus' heart. 
I said, Robert, if I could have, if I would have learned that lesson as a child, I can't tell you how how much pain I would have been spared, and the pain that would have been spared for others. My my heart, my passion. I I always believed I was going to be the second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I pursued that with all of my strength. I ran out of talent somewhere along the line, and and fell to injuries and some things. And so then you're just lost and then you got to get a job and you got to eat and you got to provide for a wife and kids and the world will just sort of spit you or chew you up and spit you out. So Jesus never does that. Jesus never does that. The most troubling thing in your question here, Robert, is the emphasis on they're being told to tell their truth. So moms and dads, your responsibility is to teach your children that there is an objective truth, only one. And anything that is in contradiction to that truth is sin, it's evil, and it's going to cause pain. So, Robert, I hope that is enough. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. Isn't it funny? Every time I hear John's voice, and he is the, the, the guy that does our announcing, uh, has from the very beginning... Um, I hear his voice and all I can think about is how envious I am. I would love that voice. Here is a question from Lionel. He says, Pastor Ron, is the story of Jonah true or is it poetic symbolism? Lionel, let me let Jesus answer that question for you, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 39, Jesus answered, these are his critics, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a, a miracle, uh, and sign, uh, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, um, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men in Nineveh will stand up in ju- up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Now, Jesus makes it pretty clear that this is a real story. Now, I know critics like to grab on to this story and say, well, see, nobody can believe that a fish could swallow a man, the man could be alive. But, but Jesus himself affirmed it. And if Jesus isn't telling us the truth... I mean, Jesus could have said, you know, symbolically, Jonah represents this. He didn't. This was a real story and, in fact, condemned the people uh, that he was talking to and said the the men that Jonah preached to in Nineveh, which was a wicked Assyrian city, um, they will condemn this generation because one before you is greater than Jonah. So, yes, it is literally true. You take it the way it is. You know, Lionel, I did a a Bible study this past Sunday uh, from the Gospel of Mark. And and we're dealing with some some miracles. Uh, The feeding of the 5,000 in this particular case. And and I made the point that, you know, when we look at the the miracles in scriptures, we we have only two alternatives. We, We believe them as they're written to us or we reject them altogether. And people don't like that, but that's really the only choice we make. They're either true or they're not true. And if they're not true, then I'm sorry, we're all lost because Jesus isn't telling us the truth. Well, the same thing is true in this story of Jonah, and it's unusual. Uh, I know pastors, and when they teach the book of Jonah, they'll go to great length to talk examples of men who were swallowed by whales and lived. Uh, but you know, I don't even bother to do any of that. You either believe it or you don't. And what choice you make really says a lot about how you view the Word of God. 
So, Lionel, you can hold on to that story. It is gospel truth, uh, and, and Jesus thought it was so important that he highlighted it in his own ministry, and it was when he was pointing people out to the judgment that awaited them. So Jonah is true. It is, not, uh, it is neither poetic nor is it symbolism. Henry says, which person of the Trinity do you, speaking to me, do you spend the most time with? Um, Henry, I, I don't, I, I don't I, all of them, I hope. Um, you know, uh, I talk to Jesus. I walk with Jesus. Um, he is the person who revealed the person of the Father to me. Uh, he's the one who purchased me out of my sinful condition. Um, Jesus is the one who sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, his job is to testify about Jesus. So it's like for humans, Jesus is the way that we can best communicate with God. Jesus became a man to save men. He he became a man so he could, so he could empathize with what we deal with. And we then, because he was human, we can run to him when we're going through difficult things. So I'm, I'm always aware of the Father, and I'm always aware of the Spirit. One of the first things I say when I get out of bed in the morning is, Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking regularly, Father, in the name of Jesus, or because of what he's done for me, um, I make this request to you, those kind of things. And then I want to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit every day. And when I do that, the Holy Spirit is going to tell me to be with Jesus. So I think sometimes, Henry, we have a, a false sense of of um, their purpose. Uh, the Father, frankly, lives in unapproachable light, we're told. Uh, that literally means we can't approach it apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus made that possible. Um, we, we we can't conceptualize a God who is a spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Um, you know, there's no skin and bones there. There's nothing that we can we can identify. And the same thing is true on the other end with the Holy Spirit. So I think Jesus is where our focus ought to be. We ought to spend time with Jesus. He's the one who calls us his friend. He's the one who is our elder brother. Uh, he's the one that purchased us out of our sin and, and made us these great and glorious promises that can't be broken. So it's not that Jesus is more important to me than the Father or the Spirit. It's just I believe the Father points to Jesus and the Spirit points to Jesus. And that means Jesus then makes it easier for us to, to identify with God. So uh, I, I, I guess in, in respect to your question... I'd spend the most time with Jesus, but I think that's by the design of the Holy Spirit and the Father. Now, one final thought on this. Henry, I think sometimes, because we, we do this as humans, um, you know, we have a little bit of a, a, a jealousy problem. Um, we want attention, and we, we automatically ascribe that same kind of jealousy to to the persons of the Trinity, which isn't true. They are in complete harmony the Father doesn't care if you pray in Jesus' name. The Father doesn't care if you pray in His name or in the Holy Spirit's name. And the same thing is true with Jesus. The same thing is true with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there's no competition between them. They're not fighting for your attention. The Holy Spirit's not up there sulking. You know, nobody pays any attention to me. It's always Father this and Jesus this. But but the, the whole idea, it's it's all about Jesus. And He's the one who makes God real to us. I mean, we all know there's a God out there. We know that instinctively from birth. But Jesus makes it real. Jesus makes it real. Henry, thank you. I hope that helps. Here is an anonymous question. Long one. Difficult one. Uh, my wife is going to divorce me without biblical, without biblical reasons. Our church refuses to confront her. Why do they just sit by and do nothing? I've made a lot of mistakes, but shouldn't we fight for our marriage? Now, Anonymous, I get a lot of questions like this um, from either husbands or wives. Most of the time, this this question comes from men, but I get these questions from women as well. Well, he's leaving me or she's leaving me, and why doesn't the church do something about it? 
Well, the same reason the church didn't do anything about the, the mistakes that you admitted to that you made. Why do you want to fight for your marriage now and you didn't want to fight for it before there was problems? You see, your focus is on the wrong thing. Your focus needs to be on you. Here's what you need to do, Anonymous. You need to repent of your sins. And and by calling them a lot of mistakes, that's not repentance. Um, I, I, I was such a jerk to Paula for so long. And if I didn't own that, if I didn't take responsibility for it, that would have only demonstrated that there was no repentance. This makes it sound like, um, yeah, you blew it. But now it's her fault. You want everybody to fight for your marriage because now you've started to realize what you're leaving. And, you know, sin has consequences. And I tell men all the time, especially as a spiritual head of the household, you should have thought about this. Um, You didn't respond when she confronted you with, with whatever your mistakes were. Or if the church confronted you when you were in sin, you didn't respond. And now because you've lost her, you're suddenly on this crusade to save your marriage. You know, wives in particular, they have a hard time believing us. We've told them we're sorry so many times. And and typically, you know, we, we just keep being a jerk. We just kind of cloak it with with spiritual sounding words and 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 explanations. So you want to fight for your marriage now? The best thing you can do is get right with God. Stop looking out at what the church isn't doing or what your wife is doing and just say, Lord, I deserve this. I deserve this. I can't tell you, especially at the beginning of my walk with the Lord, I can't tell you how many times I had to look at Paul and say, I deserve that. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I I didn't defend myself. I didn't call my sins mistakes. I deserved what I was getting. And then God knit our hearts together and only God can do that so accept responsibility for the condition of your marriage and then become the man that your wife will want to fight for let her see you change let her see your heart filled with joy Lord instead of trying to fight for something that you didn't care enough to fight for before She said she was going to divorce you. Show her who you can be in Christ. And this is important. Now, God hates divorce. I hate divorce. But the truth is, people get fed up. And Christians all the time make ungodly choices, unwise choices. And in this case, you've got to own that you're responsible for the divorce that she's now seeking. I've had people come in and get mad at me before because I wouldn't confront their wife. I wouldn't put them on church discipline. And nobody's ever been able to answer this question. Well, well, what about the times we confronted you? You didn't listen. You didn't change. Why do you expect now that we'd go to your wife on your behalf? There's no repentance without real change. So Anonymous, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Um, You brought it on yourself. At the same time, uh, you'd be amazed at what the Lord will do if you turn into the man he wants your wife to have. And you know what? If she falls for divorce, she doesn't come back, and you change, you become the man God wants you to be. Then what he has in store for you, whether it's another relationship or a ministry or something, I promise you, you will be grateful to him for the work that he's done in your heart. Stop looking out. Start looking in. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, Toll free 877-630-KSLR. Darren says... How can I explain to someone that God would forgive a murder or other terrible sins if someone repents and accepts Jesus? You know, Darren, I don't think you have to explain it. I, I just think it's a wonderful, gracious God that we can represent. This is when we can talk to somebody about the goodness of God. You know, um, I love the fact that murderers can be saved. The Apostle Paul 
as Saul of Tarsus was a murderer. And uh, God used him to change the world. So I think that's great. I love the fact that the thief on the cross, who likely was more than just a thief, um, he could believe and, and repent, acknowledge who Jesus was. And Jesus could say, today you will be with me in paradise. And the reason I love those examples is because it helps me to communicate to other people that no matter what they've done, no matter how terrible they've lived their lives, there's always hope in a Christ who's risen from the dead, who is alive, and who is willing and eager to forgive no matter what it is you've done. Now, I know I've run into a bunch of people. It's just not fair that a murderer or a child rapist or somebody like that can, can get to heaven just by accepting Jesus. Um, believe me, there's consequences for sin. I don't know how many of you remember Carla Faye Tucker. Um, Carla Faye Tucker, when we first got to Texas, um, she was a big news story here. She was a, a murderer, um, um, a meth addict, and a uh, horrible, horrible life, uh, uh, unfortunate uh, upbringing, um, but, but no excuse for the life that she lived. And she was um, a, a woman, the reason it was a big story, she was a woman on death row, the only one uh, in Texas on death row. And the reason that, that her case kept coming to attention is because there were Christian groups that were rallying for her to, to be paroled. Her life had changed so radically. I mean, the people in the prison, the, the warden, um, um, everybody who, could, who, who had a view would talk about what a different woman this is and over a long period of time, you know, you're on death row for a long time. And, um, um, you know, to put her to death would be a waste. But you know what? As faithful as she was to Jesus, God didn't spare her those consequences. She died in the gas chamber or electric chair. I'm not sure which one, but she died. She was, she was put to death for the sin of murder. God says uh, if, if somebody sheds the blood of man by his own blood or by man's hand, he will, he will also, his blood will be shed. So um, we don't escape the consequences. But I can promise you, Carla Faye Tucker went into heaven to a standing ovation. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Let me make one other point here, Darren. I think people who focus on people who are guilty of really bad things, I think they take lightly their own sin. You know, the person who says, but, but I don't want to serve a God who, could, who would forgive a murderer, or forgive a child molester, or anything else like that. I think they're taking lightly their own sin, way too lightly. Because you see, our sin, our own individual sin, what we're responsible for, is pretty filthy in and of itself. And Paul said, beware when you think you stand lest ye fall. And the, the reality is that if we don't think our sin is as bad as other people's sin, now may not have had the terrible effects of other people's sin, but believe me, our sin is really, really bad. Um, Darren, I, I, would, I would talk to somebody like that and ask about their sin. Let's start worrying about other people's sins. What about your sins? How about, do you want your sins forgiven? And I think to be able to really understand and and um, enjoy grace, you have to have received God's grace. And most of the time, people who say things like this, once they have received the grace of God in their own lives, grace is unmerited favor, when they've received God's grace, then they begin to understand how much they've been forgiven for, and then they're happy when anyone else gives his or her heart to Jesus. Stephen wants to know, has a Christian who is converted to the Orthodox faith lost their salvation? Stephen, if somebody is ever really saved, you can't lose your salvation. Not ever. God himself seals you with a deposit. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee that we will inherit the kingdom of God. A guarantee, and it's God's guarantee. And of course, if God can can violate a guarantee that he makes, then he's not God at all. Now, this is a problem because especially 
younger people now, you know, things like this go in, in, in stages. And we got a lot of younger people now who are trying to get away from the, 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 the American or Western model of church. And they like the reverence. They like the icons. They like the atmosphere of the Orthodox faith or some who have even uh, crossed the line and gone into the Catholic church. Um, they like that, but, but that doesn't usually last. So, uh, all I can tell you, uh, is there are real Christians who are Orthodox Christians. They're wrong about a lot of things. I say this often, Stephen, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven whose doctrine was really messed up and the Orthodox faith, they've got messed up doctrine. Um, but I think we kind of trust God says he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And I think when somebody is seeking, they want a, a more experiential um, um, relationship with God. Uh, I think when they they start experiencing the Orthodox faith, um, they get the little goosebump thing going on. Um, God will bring His home. He is faithful when we are faithless. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. He's the author, the finisher of our faith. So um, rather than judge people in the Orthodox faith, I think we simply uh, keep showing them what a, what a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ is. Let me also say this, Stephen, and this isn't for you, but this is for everybody. You know, um, we have to take some responsibility for the condition of church. Um you know, we, we, we keep hearing these stories about these pastors that fall into sin. Uh, we read about these incidences of abuse, uh, whether it's sexual or, or spiritual abuse or emotional abuse. Um, we see pastors who uh, start really thinking highly of themselves as God starts to bless their church uh, and they begin to touch the glory of God. You know, um we who are pastors couldn't do that if we remained humble. We'd understand that we can't touch God's glory. The rest of the Christians who go to the church, they could easily, easily keep their pastors accountable as simply leaving the church if their pastor starts demonstrating some of those things. You know, you talk about a question about worship, putting on a show and stuff. If you've seen these megachurch pastors, man, it's all show. It is all show. And you know what? We need to get over ourselves. You go into a show or a show, it's a faux pas. You go into a church and they've got this rocking worship band and they're putting on a show and there's light show and fog and all the other stuff we do in some of these churches. You know what? That has nothing to do with worshiping God. And if people would just leave, the problem is there's an audience for those kinds of churches. And I think we in the church of Jesus Christ have to accept responsibility. I think a lot of us, we're going to wonder, well, why did, when Jesus asks us, why did you stay in that church? I think we're going to be at a loss for words because we're going to know that we shouldn't. But um, Stephen, no, no room to judge somebody who's uh, converted to the Orthodox faith. I think it's sad, um, but God is faithful. He knows those who are his. He will not be mocked. Scott says, and this is this first part of it is all in capitals. The Bible repeats itself a lot. Why the repetition? Scott, if Paula were here, she would answer your question. She said, because I need to hear something 27 times before I get it. The Bible repeats itself a lot because it's making a point. You know, when I'm teaching, sometimes I'll say, please hear this or pay attention now. I'm calling their attention to something that I'm about to say that's important. Well, that's what repetition does in the Bible. And so if you see something in the Bible, it is vitally important. It, it's the word of God, the very word of God. If you see it twice, pay attention. It's like, like Jesus saying, verily, verily. Or, or truly, truly. He's calling your attention to the importance of what he's about to say. When it repeats itself a third time or more, well, then we've got to understand that this is so important to apply in our lives. 
that the only way we're going to change is to really, really pay attention. So, Scott, it's just that simple. The Bible repeats itself a lot because we need to hear things over and over and over again. You know, one of the things I've found, and I'm not happy about this, Scott, but one of the things that I've found as I get older, um, I'm repeating myself more. Uh, I, I don't really know why it's not intentional, uh, but I, when I, I, you know, every, I can't go to sleep sometimes, and so I'll, I'll put the, my earplug in, listen to radio, and my radio show comes on sometimes when I'm there, and I listen and I just cringe. Well, why are you saying that so many times? You know, I used to talk really fast and get tons and tons of information in, and I've slowed down and I've started to repeat myself more. And I can only trust that that's the Holy Spirit who's who's pinpointing some people uh, because they need to hear what it is that I'm going to say. So uh, I think that's probably the only explanation, Scott. Good question. Here's our last one. What do we got for time? We've got just under two minutes. Um, Abuela. I like this one. How can I pray effectively for my grandchildren? I'm so afraid they will be lost. Abuela, I can promise you you're already praying effectively for them. So don't worry that they're going to be lost. Expect that God is going to grab their heart, that he's going to hear your prayers. I can tell you that uh, because of the prayers of a faithful wife, because of the prayers uh, way before Paula of a faithful grandmother, that, that Jesus centered uh, or focused on me and delivered me from my sin and and uh, and I got saved so you keep praying for him abuela you know my my uh, my grandma kept her prayer journals and when she died we all got a copy that was her instruction of the prayer journals and they were really really big mine was the biggest one of all read those prayers my grandma was an effective prayer and I'm sure you are too hey thanks for tuning in today we've Come to the end of another week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, have a great time in church this week. Tell Jesus you love him. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.